Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on His Word this morning. Lord, as we come before You, may we be encouraged in Jesus Christ. May we be challenged in our relationship with You as we recognize that You are a God who heals. You are a God who helps the hurting. And Lord, we can rely upon You. Lord, as we've sung this morning to recognize that You are so good. And that uh, even though we may feel powerless, we can recognize that in our weakness, you are strong. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, may nothing detract us or distract us from your word and the principles of it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing looking through the book of John at different people as they encountered Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to be looking at John chapter 9. We're looking at a blind man who could see. He could see who Jesus really was, but there were a group of people that were seeing people who were completely blind to the identity of Christ. The blind could see, and the seeing were blind. The story, again, is found in John chapter 9. Chapter 8 ends with a, an intense discussion between Jesus and the religious leaders. And the discussion ended with Jesus sharing the statement as He said, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, the religious leaders, everyone that heard what Jesus said recognized the power of that statement. Jesus was saying, I am God. Well, that made the religious leaders, and it had happened before, but uh, made them angry. And so it says that they, they picked up stones to stone Him, but somehow miraculously, they were frozen and Jesus walked through. And they didn't lay a hand on them. Jesus, knowing that His time had not yet come, and God miraculously protected Jesus, His Son, from that. And now we come to chapter 9. Now we don't know if chapter 9 was immediately following or just a short time after. We don't know that for sure. But Jesus is walking with His disciples and they come across a man who was born blind. And so we see throughout this story that this man grows in his recognition of who Jesus was until he completely understood the identity of the man who healed him. We see that he begins calling him Jesus. He was a man called Jesus in the first 12 verses. Verses 1-5 through says this, Now as Jesus passed by, He saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming where no one can work. As long as I am in this world, I am the light of the world. Now it's interesting that in the midst of chaos... Jesus saw. And you'll find out throughout this chapter, a miracle of a man blind being able to see, we see a focus on sight. 
recognition, observation. And Jesus observed this needy man. Now, oftentimes we miss out on recognizing needs around us. But Jesus never misses that. He saw this man and this man's need. And while Jesus saw the man's pain and need, the disciples only saw a question for theological debate. Now, we don't know why, but, but they understood that this man had been born blind. He must have been maybe a, a common or a, a very well-known man. This probably took place around the temple. And so he probably, they recognized him. He was at his spot. And so they ask a common theological question. Who sinned? This man or his parents? Now, the culture saw all sickness and disease as the direct result of personal sin. That's how they viewed it. If, if something is wrong, what did you do? We see that in the story of Job with his friends. Remember his friend's question? So, hey, what did you do, Job? God must be mad with you. Yeah. Why do we face sickness and disease? Or other trials in our lives? We have to ask ourselves that question because each and every one of us face trials. Well, there's several reasons why a person may be facing a trial. Now, it can be due to sin in their life. The consequences of choices they made or God may be disciplining them. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that He disciplines those He loves and that discipline may be a physical struggle. could be that God is growing us. James chapter 1, verses 2-4 through four tells us that trials in our lives bring maturity. Now we know that sickness and death ultimately are the result of sin in the world. In Romans chapter 5, it says that death came into the world through the choice of Adam. Adam and Eve sinned. And so death came into the world and death passed upon all men for all have sinned. But if you're going through a trial, it may be God's trying to get your attention. It may be God wants you to change direction in an action that you're taking or not taking. Or an attitude that you have. Or a relationship that you are incorrect in how you are living it out. But that's not necessarily the case. And the disciples, just as the culture that they were in, automatically assumed there was some personal issue in the lives of that man, the life of that man, or the lives of his parents. Now, just like everyone who is in the world, they were sinners. But the disciples assumed that this blindness was the result, the direct result, of personal sin in their lives. But if he was born blind... Could it be his sin? I mean, he got it at birth. 
Did he sin in the womb? Well, we know we're born into sin, but the disciples were, they completely bypassed the need of the man and went to the debate. We can do that same thing, can't we? We, we want to be so theologically wise and, and, and debate the difficult subjects. And, and we can do that. And we should strive to learn. But we miss God at work. And the disciples were so busy in their theological debate that they didn't see what Jesus saw. And so they were saying, well, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus gives a a unique answer. And he says that this man is here so that that God can be glorified. People can see the glory of God. You see... God intervened in this hardship to show His grace and His love. And so if you go on into verses 6 and 7, you see that Jesus made some mud. He made a mud pie. He stuck it in the man's eyes and and told him to go wash at the pool of Siloam. And can you imagine this guy sitting here? He can't see and all of a sudden, mud in his eye. Here's mud in your eye. You You ever hear that statement? Now, Maybe you don't have as different of a mind as I do, but I'm like, I wonder. You know, I've always heard that statement, here's mud in your eye, I've never known what, you know, where it came from. I wonder if it came from this story. So I had to look it up. What did we do before Google? I don't know. So I, I looked it up, and, and it actually came out in about the 1930s, and, and there were, seemed to be two main possibilities of how we got that phrase. Uh, possibility number one is they talked about in World War I the, the muddy trenches as soldiers went into those muddy trenches and, and mud everywhere. Or the second common possibility is it came from John chapter 9. This story. Now, here's mud in your eye. People would say that as they toasted, as they had cheers. And it was the idea of health to you. Now, we don't know for sure. It's not, not positive. Of course, everything the Internet says is correct. But the Internet says we can't know for sure. So, therefore, we aren't positive. But it maybe came from that. Now, I hope that's not the only thing you remember from this message this morning. Here's mud in your eye, but, but I feel better knowing a little bit where that may have come from. So Jesus makes this mud pie. He puts it in the guy's eyes, tells him to go wash at the pool of Siloam, and he will see. And the man obeys, he washes, and he sees. And he comes back, and, and he runs into his neighbor's. And so he has a discussion with the neighbors beginning in verse 8. Verses 8-11 through 11 says this, Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. 
And he said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. So his neighbors, the people that knew him, saw this guy walking around. And, and again, we're back to this little play on the eyesight. They, were, they didn't trust their eyes. They were like, well, <laughs> it looks like him. No, it can't be. And I sort of picture these sort of guys and these people trying to get a little closer look to try to determine, is it really him? And they're asking, and again, we don't know this for sure, but I sort of picture them like talking, and he can hear them talking. We don't know that, but you're like, is it him? No, it can't be. Yeah, it is. I think it is. No, it just looks like him. And he says, excuse me, it's me. And then he said, or they asked the question that you'll see four times in this chapter. What happened? How did you receive your sight? You were blind. How do you now see? And he said, a man called Jesus. Now, do you remember last week we were in chapter 5 and they asked the lame man at the pool of Bethesda? They asked him who did this and he said, I don't know. I didn't catch his name. We were pretty hard on that guy. But this guy knew that it was this man called Jesus. He didn't fully recognize who Jesus was, but he's on the path. And so in the next verses, the man's recognition grows, and he recognized Jesus was more than just a man. He was a prophet. And we see that beginning in verse, 20, or verse 13 through verse 23. Verses 13 through 17 says this, they brought him, this is the formerly blind man who, was form, who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. So what happened? The neighbors brought this formerly blind man to the Pharisees to investigate further. The Pharisees had the same issue that they had in chapter 5. If you remember back from last week, what was their big issue? Not that a lame man could walk. A man had been lame for 38 years was now walking around. It was the fact that he was carrying his mat on the Sabbath. And Jesus told him to carry his mat. They were worried about the minutiae of the Sabbath laws rather than recognizing the power of God. And it happened here again. 
And, and we ask ourselves the question, and we're not going to go into it quite as deeply as we did last week, but the idea of why did Jesus choose to do the miracle on the Sabbath? Just like the man at the pool in chapter 5, Jesus could have chosen to heal this guy the day before, the day after, but He chose to heal him on the Sabbath. Why? Well, there's a pretty good chance it was to demonstrate the foolishness of the religious leaders and show a difference between true faith and just following a religious punch list. And so, just like chapter 5, the Pharisees were like, oh boy, Jesus did it again. And if you remember at the end of our narrative in chapter 5, it says, from that time, they tried, they wanted to kill Him. In part, because He healed on the Sabbath. So we see that the religious leaders interrogate the man. And they ask basically the same question. How do you see again? And he responded by summarizing his story. Now, it's interesting. And again, just like we mentioned last time, there's some of the things in story that, that are obvious principles. There's some things as you look at they lead you to probable attitudes and, and things that we can glean even though we can't say for sure why they did some of the things they did. But you remember in chapter 5, the, the guy went back to the religious leaders after he found out Jesus' name because Jesus went to him in the temple. And then he went back and said, it was Jesus. And if you remember the story, the man was shifting the blame. They said, why are you carrying your mat? And he said, well, a guy told me to do it. The guy that healed me told me to do it. And of course, they went to the fact that he did it on the Sabbath, not the fact that Jesus healed him. This guy handles it a little differently. He doesn't throw Jesus under the bus like the guy in chapter 5 probably did. He tells the truth, and throughout the whole story, he is very truthful in everything he says. But it's interesting that, that he, he recognized the hostility of the Pharisees, and, and his response seemed to indicate that he was protecting Jesus. While he named Jesus with the neighbors, and unlike the guy in chapter 5, he knew Jesus. He didn't name him to the Pharisees. He did not emphasize that Jesus made the mud pie, which would have required more work on the Sabbath. You see, that was a no-no. You couldn't make a mud pie because that was work. Now, he did say he put mud in his eye. But he didn't focus on, on all of the different things that Jesus did. 
He did not share that it was Jesus that told him to go and wash. He took the blame. He said, I went and I did it. He didn't attempt to blame Jesus for his action. But the man finishes this interview by saying that Jesus was more than an ordinary man. He was a prophet. So the Jews struggled. The religious leaders struggled with what took place. So they determined to bring in other witnesses. This man's parents. They're they're the prosecutors in the story. And so they're, they're trying to find issues with his testimony and they're, they're not finding things so they're, they're going to bring in some other witnesses to help clarify the issue. So they bring in the man's parents. Now the man's parents were more fearful in their response to the Pharisees than this man was. Beginning in verse 18, it says this, But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say has been born blind? How then does he now see? Same question, third time. How does he see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he, Jesus, was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Now, The man in chapter 5 was protecting himself. This guy in chapter 9, the man born blind, was sharing the truth. But his parents were more like the man in chapter 5. They were most concerned about protecting themselves because the word had gone out. The religious leaders were enemies of Jesus. And so if you said you were on Jesus' side, you became an enemy of the religious leaders. And John, in writing this narrative, says, they didn't answer the question because they knew if they did, they would be excommunicated. Which, by the way, the religious system was the center of everything they did. And it didn't just mean, oh, (laughs) you're not allowed to go to church for a while. It meant, in many ways, they were ostracized from society. And so, there was really two questions. Is this your son? And was he born blind? And then the second question is, how did it happen? They could answer the first one. It really had two parts. Is this your son? Was he born blind? And they're like, yep. Neighbors had a hard time trying to figure it out, but yeah, it's him. Yeah, he was born blind. 
He grew up in our house, we know. But as far as, was this, how did it happen and who did it? You know, he's old enough to answer for himself. Go ask him. What a cop-out. Think about it. These people who had just observed the miracle of their son being able to see, knowing that he had lived his whole life being blind. Now, we don't know, and they probably weren't there when Jesus performed the actual miracle, but they knew this was their son. He was blind. Now he can see. But what was their focus? Their focus wasn't on let's praise God that he can now see, even though I'm sure they were excited that he could. Their focus was on how can we protect ourselves from what may happen if we say good things about Jesus. And we look at these people and we say, how sad. But you know what? We can have the same struggle, can't we? We're at work. Now hopefully where I work, I can talk about Jesus freely. Maybe where you work, it might be a little harder. And I understand that. Because I would face the same struggle. Lee and Dad's grocery. There's a worker there. Oh yeah, that's John. You're one of those religious guys, aren't you? And you try to downplay it. Of course, it was a small town and I was the preacher's kid, so they pretty much just assumed it. But you know what? It is so easy to be more concerned about what people think than to be willing to stand up for God. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, just like me, that is a hard thing to do. What will the people think? Will they laugh at me? Will they consider me one of those crazy people? What will they think? And that's exactly what these parents were struggling with. What will the religious leaders think? And <laughs> they probably didn't have to ask the question, what would the religious leaders think? They knew what the religious leaders would think. But what would be the consequences if we stand up for Jesus? And so instead of celebrating and saying, yes, this was him, isn't this miracle incredible? They're like, go talk to him. He's old enough to answer for himself. So the Pharisees went back to the man with a more formal inquiry. While they attempted to intimidate him, he continued to see more clearly 
who Jesus was. And we see in the next verses that, that he recognizes that Jesus was a man of God. The, the Pharisees were having a debate. We saw it back in verses 13 through 17. Some said, well, obviously he's a sinner and he's from, the, from Satan because he's healing on the Sabbath. He's act, breaking the Sabbath laws. But others saying like, this guy is demonstrating incredible power because he's healing people. And so there was division even amongst the religious leaders, amongst the Jews. So they have a, a more formal inquiry. And they go on to say, obviously he's sinful. But this man recognizes that he is not sinful. He's a man of God. Notice verses 24 through 27. It says, So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? Fourth time, question was asked. First time neighbors to him, then the uh, the Pharisees to him, then the Pharisees to his parents, now the Pharisees to him again. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. <laughs> He's starting to get an attitude, isn't he? Listen up. <laughs> I couldn't see. You can't hear. <laughs> so anyway, why do you, and then he, then he gets even sarcastic. Or, let's see, why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Now, he knew. <laughs> Being Jesus' disciples was the furthest thing from the Pharisees' mind. So what happened? He's like, listen. I can't explain everything. I'm a human being. I can't tell. But I know one thing. I was blind, and now I see. Deal with it. And then, but it begins, it begins, this verse 24 begins with the Pharisees saying, give God the glory. It's sort of an interesting little phrase here. And, and there's actually a couple different ideas, but, but one of the things that that phrase was used for was it was used as a swearing in as part of a court of law. And so basically they were saying, you know, the first time it was more of an informal interrogation in verses 13 through 17. Now they're bringing out the big guns. Hey, listen, buddy, you're under oath. You better tell the truth. But throughout the whole story, he was the only one who recognized the truth. But they're threatening him. Saying, listen, think about your answer before you give it. And they were convinced, the Pharisees, he is a sinner. And this man says, well, you know, I know one thing. I was blind, and now I can see. And then it goes on, and the Pharisees talk for a little bit, but then in verse 30, we see the man continuing his testimony again. 
Beginning in verse 30, it says, The man answered and said to them, Why? This is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, he hears Him. Since the world began, it has been, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him and said to him, You are completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, this miracle had to be from God because only God can do the miracles that were like this. I was born blind and now I can see. And if this guy was from the devil, like you seem to indicate, God wouldn't listen to him. But he speaks to God and God answers and allowed him to heal me. And the Pharisees respond and they say, well, remember, buddy, you were a sinner. They go back to that old cultural thing. Anytime that something bad has happened obviously it's because it's a direct result of personal sin. You've been blind all these years. We don't know how old he is. The only thing we know is he's old enough to answer for himself. He'd been blind for quite a while. And so they kick him out of the synagogue. And again, that had a lot of impact on his position in society. But he was more clearly seeing the fact that it was better to follow God and to seek out this Jesus than it was to be controlled by the rules and regulations of the religious leaders. So we see that he says, you may think he's a sinner, but I know he's a man of God. But then the story ends with a final and complete recognition that Jesus Christ was not only more than a man, more than a prophet, more than just on God's side, he was God himself. He was the Son of God. Verses 35-38 through 38 says this, Jesus heard that they had cast Him out. And when He had found Him, He said to Him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is He, Lord, that I may believe in Him? And Jesus said to Him, You have both seen Him, and it is He who is talking with you. And He said, Lord, I believe. And He worshipped Him. The Pharisees were done with the man, but Jesus wasn't. The Pharisees said, Get out! But Jesus came and sought him out. It's interesting, when Jesus heard what had happened, he went and found him. Isn't it encouraging to know that in our hard times, Jesus Christ is there for us? And just like he sought out that man, he comes alongside us. And so Jesus revealed Himself. And the man believed and worshipped. 
and, and we, we've been comparing to chapter 5, but if you remember back a couple weeks ago when you were looking at chapter 4 with the woman at the well, her recognition and she started to, to talk about the Messiah, thinking this may be Him, this may be Him, and Jesus said, it's me. Same thing happens here. He's like, yeah. Tell me. Jesus said, Are you, you need to seek the Son of God. Tell me, who is He? And, and again, we can't read the, man, the, the guy's mind like God can. But I have an idea that he was like, I think this is the one. And Jesus said, the Son of God is right here talking to you. It's me. And what did he do? He worshiped. And we talk about the miracle of this chapter, and we, and we look at the miracle of this chapter and say, well, the miracle of the chapter is there is a man that was blind who was made to be able to see. That's the great miracle of this chapter. That is a great miracle of this chapter. But it's not the greatest miracle of this chapter. The greatest miracle of this chapter is that a sinner was forgiven. And you know what? That's the same miracle that Jesus desires to do in our lives. And if there has never been a time in your life when you have said, Lord, I am a sinner. I need your forgiveness. You're just as blind as the Pharisees. But just like this man, Jesus desires to perform the miracle of forgiveness in your life. And then you can be freed from the penalty of sin and given the hope of eternity with God through forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So if you have never done that, I challenge you today to simply reach out to God and say, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Come into my life, forgive my sins, and be my Savior. And just as that man's blindness was taken away, our sins are forgiven through the power of Jesus Christ. So as we close, I want us to think about a couple things. Several things that we can see from what Jesus teaches us. We see Jesus' compassion for our hopeless condition. Just like the blind man, we need Jesus. We recognize God's providence in our lives. While his circumstances look bleak, God was still at work. But also, we can't be like the parents. You see, their issue is they considered people big and God small. Instead, we need to be like the blind man who sees clearly who Jesus is. 
and recognizing that, choose to follow him. As we close, I'd like to read the first six verses of Psalm 27. Psalm 27 was written by David, and and we're not clear exactly when in David's life it was written. Some people believe it was written as David was, was fighting for his own life before he became king. Some people believe it was maybe after his mother and father had died, later in his life, we're we're not sure when. But put yourself in the blind man's sandals as you listen to these words from Psalm 27. It says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble, He shall hide me in His pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore I will not sacrifice, or I will, excuse me, therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, recognize that God is with you no matter what you're facing. And if you haven't come to a place in your life where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, recognize that He is your only hope. He is the one who can make the blind man see. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness. Thank You for the love of Jesus Christ in our lives. Lord, just as He saw the pain and need of this man in in this story, He sees our need. And Heavenly Father, help us to turn to You. Lord, those of us who are Your followers, help us to stand firmly for You. Help us to recognize that You are our strong tower. You are our fortress. And we can rely upon You. And when we are weak, You are strong. And we will give You the glory and the praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.